let's just say I make a million dollars a year and I was able to go get a million dollars of real estate write-offs, right? I would have paid $400,000 in taxes this year. That's why the big guys buy real estate. They're not necessarily buying it for the cash flow. Most are buying it for taxes. So that's where, do I pay my tax bill of 400,000 or do I buy these assets that not only give me tax loss, but they ideally appreciate, they give me cash flow. So yeah, it's a no-brainer. You leverage debt to buy real estate to get the write-off. All right, I've got literally the world's most famous CPA with me today. And no, I'm not talking about Tom Wheelwright or any of these other guys. I'm talking about my partner at TrueBooks, Matt Bontrager. What's up? That's right. Thanks, dude. Appreciate it. How's it feel to be the most famous in the world? A lot of responsibility <laughs> to the public, you know? Dude, you actually are more famous than Tom Wheelwright now. His social media ain't where yours is at. It, right, it is crazy. He had such a big platform, but I feel like he's not utilizing it like he could. But yeah, I, I feel like it's just too many accountants are just too nerdy. They're nerds, dude. Which is not bad because that's what they're good at. They're they're good at accounting. You actually do want them to be nerds. That's for sure. True. Yes, right? You Yeah, you want your accountant to be a nerd. You want them to understand and know the ins and outs of what you're doing, but you also want them to be personable. Yeah. So, so I want to bring you on for the year end to talk about things that the listeners can do. And, you know, I mean, look, a lot of the stuff that you could do is like pretty much that ship is almost sailed. You know, there's a Close. few other things, but I also want to plan for 2020. For, or 2023. I want to mm -hmm. plan for 2023 on what people can do better and what we have seen from the, how many tax returns did we do this year? Would you guess? 650. 650 tax returns, you know, so, you know, next year, how many, like- Close we, to a thousand. Yeah. Maybe eight to a thousand. Yeah, we'll probably do over a thousand. I mean, we've had 3X growth from last year and we anticipate at least 2X next year. At least. Um. So I'm excited, dude. It's been fun growing a CPA firm. Me too. Isn't it funny? Because like, I, I wasn't even really like watching it because I'm like, oh, well, Matt's watching it. He's watching that thing like a hawk. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that was my job. Yeah. That's well, <laughs> it's your job to watch all the companies like a hawk, yeah, but you watch that one specifically, yeah. right? Because we're partners. Yeah. And I was just, you know, I'm not watching it like a hawk because I, you know, as much as I love True Books, the other ones like do a lot better. Yeah. And so I was like, dang, dude, True Books is doing really good. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. I was actually super surprised. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, bro, we've been grinding. Slow boat, but we're moving. And dude, you know, the more that I've thought about it, the more I've realized like, you know what? As much as I'm like, dude, growing a tax company kind of sucks. It's It's super labor intensive. The more I've realized like, but- it's a really good business that, you know, is recurring, sticky customers, people, you know, as long as you give a good service, they're not leaving. Exactly. So like it, it truly is like a slow grow, but it just, you don't really have much fall off. And I think where your mind goes to that is, so I was just at a conference last week with these old geezers, man, all <laughs> these old CPAs and EAs. So it's very interesting that in five to 10 years, there will be so many CPA firms up for sale. But the problem is their client base is if I, this young buck came in and wanted to buy them and told the clients to get on Zoom calls now with me, they would just leave because they're mm -hmm. used to going into the office. So I feel like your perception probably of a CPA firm, which used to be mine too, was low profitability, a lot of clients, they're nagging. It's hard to write the customer service side of it. But when you look at a CPA firm model with an average, with a high average fee per client, so you're just servicing high net worth individuals, people with good businesses, it's a great business because like you said, they're very sticky. If you do a good job, they're coming back to you and it can be very profitable. But where you get into a bind is 
You're bringing on thousands of clients at low fees. Your overhead is huge. You're hiring and firing people left and right. That is a mess. Mm -hmm. So if you run the right model, it's a very good business. Yeah. You were telling me that too. Like the turnover at CPA firms is usually like insane. Huge. Because they come on for a busy season. They hate the process. They're unhappy with management. They leave. So then you're always finding new staff and, you know, things like that. But if you can, the selling point to like, honestly, at TrueBooks is I've told people we need to use this time as we're growing quick to, we're going to have clients that come on that don't make sense for us. Most firms are scared to fire them because that's revenue in their door and they want that for next year. We need to take advantage of a time where we're growing and right at this fast pace that service every client really well. And if they're good clients, we keep them for next year and continuously grow the book, grow our fees, our average fee per client. And it's a great environment for employees to want to work at for a firm yeah. versus a turn and burn model where they're just doing, hey, I need you to do 400 tax returns this year. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so no one really wants to go work at a firm like that. So if you can attract good clients, you'll keep good people. Yeah. Yeah. Once you have a better you know, client, like you said, it's easier to yeah. keep your people because they're theoretically not doing as much work and it's not as monotonous and, you know, exactly. it's more exciting. Mm-hmm. Which I don't, I don't know how you make tax work exciting, but you guys, I guess there are levels. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's into their own thing. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got their own vice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, dude, no, it's been exciting. You know, like I said, I, I looked at it and I looked at the entire portfolio of companies that we have now. And I was like, you know what? TrueBooks actually is like, it went from like starting it from the the reason we all started it was we were like, hey, it's better to have tax in house. Mm-hmm. And I got buddies and people who will use it. And, you know, but at the end of the day, like if it subsidizes what I already currently do, it's great. And then, you know, social media blew up. And then, you know, last year, TrueBooks um, did extremely well. And then this year now, you know, it's in the multi-millions. And it's like, yeah, I I understand now. Like once we got a customer, like they're baked. Exactly. You know, they're, they're locked in. As long as we keep doing it and we'll mm-hmm. just continue to add more and more and revenues will grow. Exactly. That's the plan. So it's been super fun. Yeah. yeah. So what are you running through clients right now? Like with um, year end stuff, like what's, what's our goal? So year, right. So Q4 is usually tax planning season. So this is the time of year where you're focused on the year is about to come to close. Sort of a checklist of have you done these things? Are you considering these things like your accounting? Right, December right thirty first is right around the corner. If your books aren't in order, you have no shot of doing your tax work anytime soon. And so, if you're trying to see what your net profit is for the year and say, "Hey, I'm going to owe a lot of tax. It's time to bring this down," you got to start making purchases. Maybe buy some vehicles, some equipment. So, as to some strategies, one of the biggest things is is starting to pay for expenses before the year ends. We were just talking. We're trying to get bonuses paid before December thirty first. So, being cognizant of where your numbers are so that you know what your net is. And if you need to bring that down, increase your expenses before your end is probably one of the biggest ones right now. Get your spending done. Yeah. And with with a lot of things, right? We talk about real estate being one of the ways to really lower your tax bill. For those who have no idea why real estate is, why don't you explain it? Yeah. So when you purchase large assets, like a vehicle, like a car, you're not going to pay cash for that item. So if you buy a $50,000 car, you're going to put five grand down or something. But your deduction is based on the purchase price, not the amount of cash you put down. So the leverageability, we'll say, of your cash goes so far for a deduction. Because in that case, I can walk into a dealership, sometimes put no money down on a car. And let's say it's a $50,000 car, over 6,000 pounds, all that. And I get a $50,000 deduction for putting no money down. So that's what depreciation is. And so 
you're depreciating basically and taking the value of the asset you just bought as an expense. And obviously as a real estate investor, you're buying much larger assets. Even starting out, you're buying single family homes, condos, townhomes, moving up. Now you're buying syndicated apartment deals and things like that. So the purchase prices get larger. So your deductions get larger. So explain to somebody how depreciation works on real estate. So real estate, let's say, so you buy a single family rental, right? Single family house. You're going to buy this house and put down, let's say FHA loan, 3%. It comes out to be 15 grand. Your depreciation is baked into the purchase price. So let's say it's $500,000 house. You're going to get to depreciate $500,000, subtract the land for you other accountants and CPAs watching me here, yep. um, over right a period of time. But then we hear the term bonus depreciation. So let's say of that $500,000 house- before we get into bonus, yeah. you know, so the 500K- you know, let's just say that's after land. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you depreciate over what, 27 and a half years, right? 27 and a half years. If you were just like a Joe Schmo accountant, they would take that value. Oh, long-term rental, 27 and a so half years. So basically that's like 18 grand. 18 grand a year, you'll say. Is is what you would get a deduction for. So if I made $100,000, I would get 18 grand deduction. So mm -hmm. my, my taxes would now be on 82,000. Yes. Yes, is a way to look at that. Yes, is a deduction. That yeah. would be your deduction for that property. Right. Okay. So how does bonus work? Bonus works. So notice what we just did in that case. You just took 500,000 divided by 27 and a half, brought you to 18. If you get a little bit more granular, there's different assets that make up that 500,000. It's not just the 27 and a half year property, which is the building structure. Hey, first off though, before you get into this, I, I've always wondered this, but why 27 and a half? Yeah, dude, I don't, any of these lives. That, that's, like, where's the half? Yeah, yeah, I know, where's the half? Well, what's weird is too, commercial's 39. So why don't you give 39 and a half? Or like, 40. Yeah, Why not 25 exactly. and 40? Yeah, so these are all lives. <laughs> yes, useful lives is what the IRS calls them. And, and right, that's a good point. Every asset that you buy and go, right, are going to depreciate is given. Car, cars life. are like five years. Five years, exactly. Yeah. So furniture and fixtures can be five or seven. Land improvements, like a gate or something like that, is 15. Residential real estate, like the actual structure of the building. So we're not talking like windows and stuff. Windows and all that smaller stuff is five and seven. The structure of the building is 27 and a half. And if you're looking at like a commercial building, it's 39. So you brought up a good point as when you're looking at that $500,000, what you just did is just assume it's all 27 and a half. It's all building structure. Right. But this is where to drop that term cost seg comes in. When you're looking at a $500,000 property, you have other assets in it. You have windows, carpet, paint, cabinets, fixtures, things like that. We need to find out the value of those specific assets because those are what we can bonus. Mm -hmm. And so let's say for rough numbers of $500,000, $200,000 are the interior assets. TVs, again, furniture, fixtures. I can take $200,000 right there in the first year compared to $18,000. So you can deduct your TVs and your furniture and all that stuff? For sure. So if you bought an asset, right? So if you buy this house with those assets already in it, that's part of the purchase price. You get to depreciate them, yeah? Wow. And even if you bought those after the fact because you were rehabbing it, for sure. Yeah, so like an Airbnb. People Airbnb. who are furnishing these, they can bonus the whole thing. Oh yeah, supplies, TVs, equipment, all of that in there, for sure. Okay, mm -hmm. so in this case, right, you, you do a cost segregation and this costs a little bit of money, you know, what's it going to cost somebody? Five to 600 bucks. If you do it yourself online, if you pay somebody, maybe 2000. Okay. 3, so, you know, we're lazy. So we pay someone 2000 and now they're like, Hey Ryan, you got a $200,000 write off. Mm -hmm. And Ryan over here made $200,000 as my income. Right. So what mm -hmm. happens now is 
I get a $200,000 deduction off my income and I made zero. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's what it does. So right in that case for, again, the accounts watching, we're assuming that you're making that money from real estate, but, or right in rental real estate, but yes, exactly. These are all deductions that are bringing down your income. So therefore, if your taxable income, your net income is zero, you owe no tax. So let's talk about this, right? People are listening and they're like, whoa, I did not know that about real estate. Um, and you know, I'll tell you guys, that's why the big guys buy real estate. Like totally. it's not, they're not necessarily buying it for the cash flow. They're not buying it for all the reasons like you might've been told. They're like, most are buying it for taxes. Like One they're trying to get their tax bill down because think about it. If I, let's just say I make a million dollars a year and I was able to go get a million dollars of real estate write-offs, right? I mean, that would have, I would have paid $400,000 in taxes this year, right? Yep. And so- at that point, you start saying, well, at $400,000, like, you know, what would be the cash flow, even if I broke even on like all these real estate per, like purchases? Because what, you could buy 2 million worth of real estate with 400,000. Yeah. At least. So that's where, do I pay my tax bill of 400,000 or do I buy these assets that not only give me tax loss, but they ideally appreciate, they give me cash flow. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a no brainer. And that's where you hear Kiyosaki, you leverage debt to buy real estate, to get the write-off. Mm -hmm. And it's also too why I, I believe like real estate, it's hard to crash it um, even in right now, right? Like the government's doing everything they can to crash it, yeah. you know, but it's still, it hasn't crashed like stocks or crypto or anything. And I think my opinion is all of these Wall Street firms, smart Coming investors, in they're like, yo, this is an opportunity to offset all of our taxes. Mm -hmm. Let's do it. What would really sort of kill it off is like what you were saying or hurt it would be if the tax code didn't allow for such benefit. Exactly. Which again, this conference, I was just saying they were reiterating. It's very, the government and the IRS and the tax code is very preferential towards real estate investors mm -hmm. because they want to spur that growth. Yeah. Yeah. They want people to build, develop, buy, renovate. They want exactly. all of it. Yeah. So, and they need more rentals because people can't buy. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, so like even in a downturn, right, I feel like inventory is still somewhat low. So we're still needing to build more. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So what does it mean to be a real estate pro then? Yeah. So by definition, so it, like if you're an agent out there, if you're somewhat involved in real estate, you may immediately think because it's your full-time work, you're a pro. But there's that, right? So an actual designation and definition by the IRS is a real estate professional. There's two rules that you have to meet. And this isn't a, and or, or the, sorry, this isn't a, this or that, this is a, this and that you have to meet both. The first one is you have to work more than 750 hours in the nature of real estate. There's like 11 categories, but basically if you're a broker or flipper or whatever, you're, right. you're full time, 750 hours. The next piece that everybody forgets is, and overlooks, it has to be more than one half of your total work time. So if you're like a manager at a department store and you flip houses on the side, but you're full-time at this department store, it's very unlikely that you're working more than 4,000 hours a year and mm. doing more than your W-2 job in real estate. Right. And the tax court, from what I've heard as of now still, there's one case where a guy beat that. He had a W-2 job, said he was a real estate pro, was challenged in tax court, and won because it was proven that his W-2 job didn't require 40 hours a week. Mm. So it's the heavy, it's from what I hear again too, the most heavily litigated tax code section there is. Because it's so powerful, we see what you can do with it. Yeah, for sure. No, it's easily the most powerful part of the tax code. Yeah. So, you know, you see a lot of um, different ways to be in real estate, right? I mean, you could flip wholesale, you could be an agent. Um, Airbnb. You know, Airbnb host, 
There's a lot of ways. I'm curious just from um, my unselfish point of view, do they consider like a real estate influencer, a guy who talks about real estate and everything to be part of that? Mm, I would think you could maybe find an exception, but I wish I had the 11 in front of me. But one that is not spe- specified in one of the 11, no. <laughs> real estate yeah, influencer. Yeah, yeah. Influencer, <laughs> in, yeah. In the tax code. Public persona, yeah. You know, no. podcast host. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And here's an interesting thing too. We get a lot of questions where, well, hey, I work at a brokerage and I'm W2'd. That's okay, but there, right, it even becomes a little bit more quirky that if you're W2'd, you have to own at least 5% of the business to be a real estate pro in that case. Because then you're an employee. You can't really, right, like you don't own the business. So even by that definition, you could be skirted out of it and not earn it. Mm. But that's all it is. It's basically a designation that you earn by the IRS. But the only benefit to being a real estate pro is what? So the only benefit is, is if you're trying to acquire real estate and do as you said, which is, I made all this money over here doing whatever my day, right? My, my day-to-day business. Okay. Like your, your real estate business. Right, or real estate. But now I've also purchased real estate on the side and I want this depreciation to offset my income and pay no tax. And you're trying to do it with the long-term rental route because we've all been aware, I think by now, of this short-term rental loophole, which we can get into. But overall, if you're trying to acquire long-term real estate and use it for tax benefits, you need to be a real estate pro. Because that's what the tax code, you need to do that to be able to offset these yeah, things. Yeah, so I, I got to fit the criteria, the however many, 750 hours? It's like 13 a week or a month. Yeah. yeah. And I need to, you know, buy long-term rentals and I can then wipe out my income from flipping houses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what happens if I don't fit the criteria? Maybe I'm just a normal YouTuber and I talk about the skies falling all day and, you know, markets are crashing and I'm not actually investing. Here's how you do it then. So on the flip side of you're not going to go real estate pro or materially participate, manage your rentals and go that route. On the other side is you can find a business that you can passively invest in, which we have a good example here at the firm. We have a client that used to own a company and now it kicks off maybe a million a year of cash flow to him. He doesn't own it or he owns a piece now, but he's not active in the business. He is somebody that has a W-2 job, but gets a million dollars on the side from this business that he started. Can we... Like, just let's get true books there. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> okay, so he's working his W-2 job and he gets a check for a million a year yep. from a passive business. Real estate and rental rental real estate is considered passive to the IRS. That's why they're giving you, hey, this is passive. You have to go through all these rules to do this. Right. What he does is, since he has passive income of a, right, a, right let's say a million dollars. From true books. Yeah. He <laughs> just acquires all of this real estate because it's passive and offsets the passive income. So maybe all he's paying tax on now is his W-2, not this million. You you would have to have a ton of passive income. Exactly. So it's either you're going to go real estate pro. And wipe out your active. Wipe out your active. Or you just focus on like, so we call them pigs, passive income generators. (laughs) Yeah. So you just, you grow the pigs, right? And then you just go buy real estate on the side. Then you don't even need to worry about this real estate pro stuff. You're just buying your real estate to offset your passive investment. So that's why we tell people like, you're Where are all these these uh, animals, you know? Like yeah. when we were getting our um, training from Gary Harper, right? We renamed our COOs to bulls. Bulls, yeah. <laughs> yeah, business unit leaders, yeah. I know, right? And now, yeah, the pig, I was laughing when I heard that. So I need, time, to have, I need to own pigs. a bunch of pigs. Bunch of pigs. That are run by bulls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have a whole farm over here, yeah. <laughs> Panetta farm, yeah. McDonald's, Panetta McDonald's farm. But that's it though. And that's where... It's great for him because he's like, I don't even need to worry about this real estate pro stuff. I just have a million coming to me. I just got to acquire this over here and they offset each other. Well, I, and I'm 
I'm guessing that millions more than his W two. Way more. Yeah. He's just. I think the W two at this point is just for fun. Like <laughs> he's just bored. But yeah, exactly. He he started up this company and then sold off his piece, and so that's where if you can truly go that route, that's easier. That's what I would have to do as a CPA. Right. Look at me. I run a CPA firm. I deal with real estate people all day. I'm not a real estate pro. I can't be. My wife could be, but she's also not. She's in finance too. So if I wanted to go that route, there's either- no like loophole for you as you know, a, a real estate specific accountant to like, be like, yeah, I'm in real estate. Like I'm literally talking to real estate people all day, every day. No. Cause when you look at those criteria of the nine, it's like, bro- it, it, it's literally construction, reconstruction, development, redevelopment, brokerage, leasing. So like, unless Podcast you fall under host. one of those, right. Unless you follow <laughs> under one of those, then you're right. This is by the way, qualify. for anyone listening, this is how our conversations always go. <laughs> I'm like, Matt, there's got to be a yeah. way. <laughs> I know there's a way. Yeah. Like read the book. Yeah. <laughs> the wealthy way. Yeah. Yep. There's always the wealthy way. Yeah. The wealthy way is both gray area and gold. Which is good though. Cause that's also right. Mm-hmm. Look at how our firm started. That was the spur of the firm is like, now we're getting clients like YouTube influencers and things like that to where, you know, they won't go to old CPAs cause old CPAs are saying like, yeah, you can't do that. You can't write off something that you show in a YouTube video. And I'm like, what- oh, we will. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where, you know, right. You need a CPA that's to that point involved in what you're doing. They understand what they you're understand doing. your business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I mean, we specialize in entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. real estate investors, influencers, content creators. Exactly. Yeah. The, we got like, that. Realm. Those are the three main, like, if, if you do anything that I do, yeah. we specialize in you. Exactly. Well, yeah. We have some client that's very similar, if not the same, or ahead of you. Yeah. Who do we got? Who do, who yeah. do we got the head? Like, <laughs> tell me about him. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. We're just filming a podcast with him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. tell me about uh, just this, this loophole with uh, Airbnb. Yeah. Short terms. Yeah. So right again, the IRS looks at rental real estate as passive. The money you make at your business is non-passive. So they say, whoa, there's these two buckets. For you to mesh the two, you got to pass all these rules. So let's say you're like, I'm not like me. I'm not going to do that. I can't mesh the two. I can't be a real estate pro. They literally have, which again, I think this is going to go away. That's why I'm using the term loophole. I'm not using the term loophole as it's bad. I'm all for loopholes if we can find them. This is purely a loophole. In the IRS code, there's a definition of what rental real estate is. And one of them is, it is not rental real estate if the average period of the stay for the tenant is seven days or less. It's considered transient use property. And then there's even another one that says for, right, so we have a client here that uh, they just bought something in the Jewel downtown. They have to do 30-day rental. They can't do less than seven. Because the Jewel won't let them. Exactly. So they got to do midterm. So even at 30 days, that can still qualify in this definition because it literally says, okay, 30 days or less, but you have to provide substantial service like daily turndown, like hotel-like, have a car for them, a chef for them. (laughs) Like it's got to be a business, right? Right? Like, or something where they're going to go like clean the unit daily, something like that. So if you can pass one of those, you've simply now taken this activity that was really passive and it's non-passive. So that's where if you looked at me as a CPA that wanted to really maximize and I wanted to buy rentals and I wanted to depreciate, I'd have to go the short-term rental route, which is I need to buy the property. The average period, let's just assume is seven days or less. So like an Airbnb, and I need to manage it myself for the first year. That's the big thing too, that everybody- The first year. Because what's the goal here? I want to buy it. I want to furnish it. I want to cost it. I want to suck all the depreciation out of the first year. So at that point, you're like, all right, I'm good. I'll let it ride. Year two, I'll just hire a property manager, sit back, which I will also caveat, that's not been tested in tax court. And that's why I think this is all going to go away. (laughs) The IRS is going to catch, whoa, they really did skirt this by, hey, seven days or less, it's not a rental. I'm not held to all your rules. 
And so that's this what is they'll an do. active business. It's an active, exactly. And that's where it truly becomes a business once you're doing substantial service is what they call it, which is like, again, daily service. You have like a concierge, a chef, a I car, mean, look, these like Airbnb that. guys are like, it's 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 an active thing. For Airbnb sure. Airbnb is by no means passive. Oh, oh, yeah. No, not at all, right? To run that. And that's where a lot of the, right, is, well, wait, I got to manage it myself. But it's like, okay, do you want the huge tax loss you're about to get? <laughs> you're about to lose money on paper and pay no tax. So that's where you're yeah, going to have to suck it up for the first year. It's funny. I was golfing with one of our students and um, they were listening to you say something, right? And he's telling me, he's like, yeah, so I'm, I'm working on my um, property management stuff and everything. And I'm like, property management? Why are you doing property management? He's like, well, I have to do it to get the loophole of Airbnb. And I'm like, you flip houses. You're yeah. a wholesaler. Like you are active. You don't need to do that. He's like, well, I heard Matt say it. And I was like, yeah, he was talking to everyone else, yep. not you. And I was just like kind of dumbfounded because I was like, you're in the program. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> even then though, right? So to note though, what he's probably referring to is you not only have to be a real estate pro, right? If you go the long-term route, but you still have to manage. But again, just for that first year. Because what the IRS is saying is- No, but if you're already a real estate pro, you don't need to manage your yeah, you do. Why? Yeah, you do. Because the IRS won't consider it to be, you need to materially participate in it. Basically have skin in the game. And that's where they look at it as, dude, this is a passive investment for you. Why would I let you net it against your day-to-day -day business income? You're not actively in it. That's where you say, well, hey, not only am I a real estate pro, but I materially participate. And that's where there's seven tests. You got to meet one of them. What he was probably getting at is how he's meeting that test, but- well, um, hold on, hold on, hold on. So yeah. now I might have given him the wrong advice. So <laughs> <laughs> give this guy my number. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me let me take a step. Let's back. clarify. Okay. I hope I hope you're wrong because okay, I, I'm so not. I, I I make sure I I understand this. Yeah. So as a real estate pro, I yes. flip houses. I'm yes. an investor. I'm I'm say I'm a realtor, right? Sell them houses like Sarahan. Okay. That's my full time gig. Yep. Seven fifty hours, right? Yep. I go and buy a long-term rental. I cost seg it. I yep. can wipe out my income, right? Yes, but to do that, you need to materially participate. Well, yes, you can wipe out your rental income, but if you want it to go against your realtor income is where we're really talking now. You have to material participate in any rental. In all of them, unless you group them. So that's another thing. You buy one rental, you have to materially participate, which there's multiple tests. It's probably not as hard as you think. If you're the only person running it, then you can just simply do that. If you hire a cleaner, something like that, then there's like an hour test. You got to hit at least 100 hours and things like that. But um, yes, you have to materially participate in every activity unless you choose to group them. Because we have to think what about the intent. What does grouping them mean? So let's say you buy five rentals. The gold standard of being a material participant is 500 hours. If you buy one single family home, you ain't going to spend 500 hours on this home. I no. don't care how big the home is. So the next test is you spend 100 hours and more than everybody else. So if you hire a cleaner, you're automatically triggered to that test. You have to spend at least 100 hours and more than them. Then there's a third test, which is what I would classify for my rental out here. I don't have a property manager. I text them when they need something. No one goes to the property. So that's basically substantially all. I do that. So there's seven tests. You just have to meet one. If I buy four rentals, I have to materially right, do that in each one. I have to materially participate in each one. So you would say, wait, I've spent 500 hours in each one? Technically, yes, unless you choose to group them and treat them as one. So in the tax code, you could say, wait, I don't want to materially participate separately in each one. I'll just group all four rentals as one. And now I have one 500-hour bucket. What about the 100-hour? Or one you could do that test too, but then notice how that gets a little quirky. If you have people going out to every property, you have to track everybody's time. So that's why we say the gold standard in tax is just reach the 500 hours. But some people 
like they won't because the property's so little. So 500 hours comes out to, was it 10 hours a week? Yep. 52 weeks. Yeah. I'm like, how does people spend 10 hours a week on? That's why I'm, yeah. That doesn't make any sense. What most of them are doing is, is really test two and three, substantially all or the hundred hours. And that's where I tell people. Substantially all. Substantially all is like, there's no hour requirement by the IRS. It's basically you do it all. But that's where the second you hire somebody, you move up to that test too. If you even have a contractor go out there, technically you had somebody else involved in the property. You now need to track their time and you need to hit a hundred hours. So you go, t- test two is the hundred hours. Test two is hundred hours more than everybody else. Test three is just, hey dude, I do everything. No one else is involved here. And then really there's seven test total. So there's four other ones, but those are so quirky. We've never used one on a client yet. So test two would be, I spend a hundred hours more than the contractor. No, you just spend at least a hundred. And so he could spend 98 and you spend 101. You would meet it. So that would be two hours a week. Sure. Because 50 weeks, yeah, 52 weeks. Exactly. And that's where like, we just had a client buy a property in Tennessee. She's traveling to it. She's dealing with the, like all the tenants, She's rehabbing it, right? She just flew out there. So all of that time counts too. So it's not that hard in the year you acquire the property, which is the year we care about because that's when we just want to suck the depreciation out of it. And then hire a property manager, let it roll on from there on. So, you know, I go to Big Bear. I'm going to Big Bear this weekend, right? Yep. So like those hours there. Spending there at your property, walking the property, talking to the tenants, talking to the agents, all count. Yeah. So that's where it's usually not hard. It's that first bucket where they're like, if we even get a client that has read enough into the code where they're like, man, I got to spend a hundred hours or I got to spend 500 hours on this. We're like, technically no, but it can get hard to hit. When it gets really easy is when they have a portfolio of properties, you group them, you have one bucket. Now you just have to spend 500 across the entire thing. Or 100. Or 100, but yes, but you'd have to watch it because you have, let's say you have 80 properties in the portfolio. Okay. It'd be very hard to spend more time than everybody managing that because right notice what the irs's intent here is they want you to do the most Mm. you need to have the most skin in the game if we're going to allow you to take this tax loss Mm. if you're just going to sit back collect a check and hire property management that's not going to fly that's Mm. their whole intent here with this code Real quick, if you haven't heard, my book, The Wealthy Way, is coming out December 13th. I have been working on this book for years, and I'm super excited about it, and I want to have a massive launch, and I need your help. So here's what we are going to do. You can actually pre-order the book on Amazon right now on the Kindle version. And the best part is, that Kindle version is only going to be 99 cents. Now, this book is a lot more valuable than 99 cents, but I want to get it in everyone's hands. So you can support by ordering it there right now. Now, on December 13th, you can get access to the paperback, you can get access to the Audible and all that good stuff. But that's not all we're doing. If you wanna really support and leave a review for the book, I'm actually going to be giving away a free course that I created called Business Builder Academy. This is teaching everyone how to start a business from start to scratch, how to figure out your branding, your products, sales, marketing, everything that I've done to start up all of my businesses. I've put into this academy and I'm gonna give it to you completely free as long as you leave a review on Amazon. So think about it. You can go buy the book for a dollar, leave a review and get a course worth thousands. So if you want to support and you wanna get access to that, go to wealthywaybook.com, okay? Wealthywaybook.com, you'll be able to go pre-order it. You'll be able to submit proof of your review and you're gonna get access to that course. So I appreciate all you guys. Let's have a huge launch for this book and change some lives. So how do how do the big investors like in our funds and stuff take advantage? So they either have pats, they have pigs, 
So their K-1s are just automatically offsetting their pigs because mm. they've already made passive income, which right. is that, right? So we definitely have a few of those. The other one is if they are real estate pros, that right. can help too. So if they're real estate pro, they're an agent somewhere and they threw 50K, 100K in this deal. They're a broker somewhere. And so it'd be that or they're GPs right. where they're bringing enough money to the deal that we let them in as a GP. And then now they're active and it's not even passive to them anymore. It's active. So my material participation is in that I'm a GP. You're a GP. Exactly. And I'm spending a lot of time. You're walking the deals, these deals, doing the contracts, negotiating the terms, talking with the potential tenants, all of that. So all that money. time. Exactly. Yeah. So when you find somebody that's so passive and they just, that's why one of the biggest risks is they hop in a I'm syndication. I'm a lot more active than I thought. Yeah, I know, no, right? I'm thinking about Exactly. It. I'm like, man, I, I actually do do a lot of these things. Like, yeah. I'm like, man, you know, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, do I meet this? And then I'm like, <laughs> you started naming that. I'm like, yep, I do that. I do that. I do yep. that. I do that. Yep. I'm always looking for more deals. And at yep. scale. So it's like, you've, right, you're doing that same task over multiple properties. So it's more time than you even think. Yeah. But that's where if, like one of the biggest things is we get somebody that will just come to us and they threw money into a fund and they were never educated on this stuff. Because we obviously tell this to our investors, but if they throw money in a fund and they weren't educated on this, they're like, man, I can't wait for my tax loss. Mm -hmm. And then they get this tax loss. We're like, you can't use it. <laughs> you have no passive income. You're not a rep, right? Right. So real estate pro, you don't own rentals. Like this is just going to sit on your tax. Cool. You got like a dividend and you own a piece of this property. But this tax loss that you thought you were going to get and get to use, you can't. And it's because you didn't sit down with an advisor. So now they're sitting with an advisor virtually right now, right? And mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, I want to invest in Pineda Capital, mm -hmm. by the way, PinedaCapital.com. And we're saying, hey, guys, we want you to get these tax losses with us. That's like one of the things. What you're saying to them is what? I would. So that's where that is an individual conversation because it's like, okay, you want to invest because of the tax loss, what do you do for your main job? Do you have passive income, right? Those questions need to be asked because they may not be able to use it for they, tax loss. They may loss. have passive income already, and so they don't need to participate because they're going to just take it against their passive income. They're going to be the guy that's making a million bucks on the side from a good investment he made, and then they're, they're just netting it out, which is a great way because what is so powerful with syndications, we had a client two years ago put in 50K, one of the largest multiples I've seen, four to one. He put in 50, got a $200,000 loss back. That's mm. huge. Yeah. Talk about your money going far, right? Back to those like deductions of buying a car and, you know, leveraging with debt. This case, he just had to put 50 in and got 200K back. So again, not only does he have a good investment ideally and a good return, but that was a huge tax savings for him to only outlay 50, but he got the benefit of 200. Mm. So, yeah. And that's why it's so difficult because we need to speak with these people one-on-one. -on -one. It's not like something you can do in a group training because it's like, what do you do? What do you do on the side? <laughs> what do you do? So it's like- every Show me your calendar. Yeah, exactly. Everybody would have to know like, well, okay, what's your role? Like, what, what do you do for your main line of work? Do you have passive income? That's where advisory, that's where we saw the need and why we built this firm the way we did. So many people would go to an accountant and think that that was a normal service and it's just included. It's not. Most accountants, you go to them, they just prep your return. Right. They're just building your report card of what you did for the year. Yeah. What you did was already done. Exactly. Like, there's not much you can do about it. Sitting with them and like strategizing with them is where, where it's really at, where they f see the value. Yeah. So you said Q4 is a lot about tax planning. What else would um, we be telling people right now? So not only just spending money, as weird as that sounds, but on things that you need, right? I'm always a fan of only spending it on what you need for the business, bonuses and things like that, but also prepaying expenses. So if you pay rent two grand a month, you know, that's a $24,000 deduction that you could pay in December. You're prepaying for 2023, but that's a great deduction for take for your end, all right, for you to take for your end. Um, setting up retirement plans, 
Some clients love it. Some clients hate it. If you're somebody that wants to fuel your business and keep all the cash in your business and keep that running, then you probably don't want to go the retirement route, but that's also another great way. Um, one of the biggest questions we get is, hey, I own real estate. Do I need to do the cost segregation study in this year for it to work? You don't. You just need to, here's what you need to do. Acquire the real estate and place it in service before December 31st. If you just have this half renovated property sitting there as a rental and it's not rented or available for service yet, you're not going to be able to use it. So my advice to them would be if you're in right the nature of real estate, buy these properties, get them rehabbed, get them on the market and listed as rentals before year end. Then you mm. can cost seg them and do all that stuff later. Mm. So but there's a ton of stuff. Like if you're a flipper in the real estate game and you want to stop income, push off some closings. I don't know how many people want to do that now with this sort of falling market or sort of balancing market, but that's a good way to put off income to the next year, right? Close that deal in early January. So it's not income in this year. Yeah. Good way to defer there. Donations. Yep. Donations are a huge one, right? And these are all things like you just mentioned, you got to get the money out before December 31st. So right. that's where not only do you need to identify what you need to do, but moving money sometimes can be an issue. Banks are closed certain days. This time of year, there's holidays. So physically moving the cash around is important. And then the cars. When that Escalade came out, everybody was like, cool, I placed my deposit. And I'm like, that don't matter. Yeah. You don't need the deposit. You need to have the vehicle. So again, similar to real estate, you got to have hey, the asset. So speaking of that, I, um, my Rivian, mm. you know, it, it was originally supposed to come like a year yeah. ago. <laughs> I ordered <laughs> come, this in Come like on, Rivian, if you're listening to this, yeah. Um, but, you know, they kept leading me on, you know, and it was like, hey, it's coming in April. Yeah. Then they're like, hey, it's coming in September. Then they're like, hey, it's coming in December. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm never going to get the write-off. Yeah. <laughs> and then they sent me an email like uh, a month ago and they're like, hey, it's coming in like March or April of mm. 2023. And I'm like, there goes the write-off, whatever. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then they randomly emailed me um, over the weekend and they're like, hey, confirm your Rivian. I was like, okay, whatever, dude, confirm it. And then they're like, okay, start filling out the financing, show us your insurance. And I'm like, this is like what you do when you're ready to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> this is not confirming it. And mm -hmm. so I just go through it and they're like, okay, you're approved. Here's the co the total and everything. Put your deposit. And I was like, okay. And so I put the deposit and then, you know, I'm like, I, I, I messaged the rep. I'm like, is this car coming? It's, it's like got a VIN number and everything. <laughs> oh yeah, that's crazy. If you saw a VIN? Yeah, I got the VIN. Everything. Oh yeah. Well, that would make sense. Yeah, if they're already asking you to line for, up for debt insurance and, stuff. and yeah. everything. And so, um, well, I know this car's got a VIN, so where's it at? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I paid for it. And then yesterday they sent me the purchase agreement. And Ooh. so I signed the purchase agreement. Everything's done. And they're like, I, I, I think I own Crickets. it. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> like, I think I, I own it. Yeah. It's not in my driveway, but I think like the money's Why not in my account. Why does it take you so long? One of the guys who we get, same school as our kids, drives one. Nice blue one. Why is yours not here yet? I'm pretty sure his is a Rivian. They're out. Yeah, but mine's the SUV. The oh, I've not is, seen an SUV. Exactly. I've seen the truck. Yeah, I might have the first SUV in you, Vegas. Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah. I was just going to say at Whole Foods, another one the other day I saw behind me, but not but, an SUV. But a truck. Truck. Right. Only the trucks. So, yeah. You tell me. Be. Do I, does it have to come in my driveway before the end of the year? Or like, I got a purchase yep. agreement. I bought it. Nope. It, you have to take delivery because here's what the IRS wants to see. Hey, if you're going to write off and deduct that asset, it has to be placed in service. Mm. You have to be using it. So that's where with a rental, it's got to be in that case. I need to uh, go to the plant. Yeah. <laughs> Just let me sit in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> let me take a picture. In yeah, it. yeah. Let me show Instagram. Yeah. 
on December 30th. Yeah. This thing is yeah. right here. I'm sitting. Yeah. You should. That'd be great. I'd be, I'd, yeah. That'd be funny. But yeah. So you need to take delivery of the asset or if it's a rental, you need to have the asset ready. You can't have some, in this case, half assembled truck. You can't have some <laughs> half assembled. Hey, it's flip. got a VIN. Yeah. All right. And <laughs> I, I paid for it. But I mean, yeah, like that's what's scary too. Like if you got a VIN, I feel like that's etched in somewhere on the, like the chassis. You could have a raw chassis that just got painted, like no wheels. So who knows? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so you need to take delivery of these assets. You need to move the money. So that's why- Well, I've got about three weeks, so- You do, yeah, it, three it's weeks. It's going to be close. I know, yep. And but I get a $7,500 tax credit. Tax credit, yep. For How's the that work? Credit. Yep. So the way that it works is, let's say you're going to get like, let's say it's a $100,000 vehicle. What it is, is you'll not only get the deduction, but you'll get the credit. And so with the credit, sometimes the tax quirkiness of it, you'll have to reduce the purchase price by the credit because the government doesn't want to let you double dip. So you'll get the credit as well as the bonus depreciation, which how heavy is that? It's over 6,000 pounds, oh, yeah, I assume. Huge. It's got to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's fully electric there, right? Yep. Yeah. I don't even think I've seen a rendering of the uh, SUV. It's super boxy. It kind of looks like a big Defender. I was going to say, does it look like the Defender? Yeah. Yeah. Shout but it's three Nick. row. It's what? Oh, three row. Yeah. Mm. Third, third lays down, I assume. So you can do like a. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's sick. sweet. I've it's never sweet. seen one here. When you were Instagramming here in the parking lot, did they have them? Yeah, they did. So they, yeah, they okay. were testing them. Yeah. And I feel like you just ran into them and saw them. Huh? I did. They, yeah. Well, I've seen them multiple times out here. They try to tease me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the yeah. cool thing was I got the, like the, they honored the pre-order price as they should. I've, I've been waiting for years. Yeah. Um, cause they, they originally emailed and they were like, Hey, you know, due to COVID and inflation, we have to raise the price. It's going to mm. be like $90,000 or something now, 95,000. And, and Steven in my, and even in my mind, I'm like, well, the model X is like 130, 40, that like 90, what was your original price on this? The original price was like, um, I want to say 75 or something. Whoa, that's fairly cheap. Well, yeah. not cheap, but I'm like, that's cheaper than I would expect for sure. I know. Way and it cheaper. was 75 or something. And then they come back to you and say, now we got to bump it by 90 or 290? 290. Oh, 290. 290 okay. or 95 or something. Yeah. And literally the next day they were like, due to everyone getting pissed, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to honor the 75. Yeah. yeah, we're bringing it back. And I honestly wasn't even mad. I was like, yeah. Yeah, I you kind of should have already, but. Yeah, like that's, the, if if you're competing with the Model X and the Model X is like, Lowest price is like 120 grand. Yep. 95 is still st a good deal. You're still looking good. So, right, to bring it full circle to tax, did you buy it uh, personally or in the business? Um, I What did I do? I bought in the business. Yeah, see, that's fine too. Which, But you said uh, it doesn't really matter. A lot of people get tripped up by that. Like, man, I didn't use my business credit card to spend this like $500 purchase for my business. I'm like, dude, still deductible. Yeah. So that's why back to accounting, like, you got to keep track of what you're buying, what you're spending, what you're making. And so with cars, it doesn't have to be in the business's name. And this is where I tell people, if you go out and set up an LLC your first week, and then the next week go try to buy a car, the bank is not going to give your new LLC any money. Mm -hmm. They're going to look through it and say, okay, well, cool. You have this. Who owns this LLC? Oh, John Smith, John Smith, let me see your income. I don't care about this LLC you just set up a week ago. Yeah. It doesn't make any money. You make the money. So that's where- Yeah, it all flows back to Exactly. You, no so they're going to look at you individually, but it is very important to keep you know separate records. But right. yeah, so a lot of people get tripped up like, man, I got to buy my car in my business name, but you don't. Yeah. By the way, I don't think I ever mentioned this on the show. Um, this show, I've mentioned it before, but for those of you who are liking what you're hearing and you want to work with this nerd next to me, um, you go to truebookcpa.com 
and book a call with our team. Um, dude, we've been slammed since you were on Bigger Pockets. Yeah, that was a big one. I think, yeah, yeah like 200 that same day. Like 200 had, leads. Yeah, instantly. 200 leads have some sort of inquiry that day. Crazy. Which, we, yeah, we're, uh, Because yeah. uh, one of our clients, Rob. Yep, Rob. Shout out to Rob Abasalo. Yep, love him. Yep. Every time I try to say his full name, I'm like, Rob Robilt. Yeah. And then that's not even the right way to say <laughs> yeah. it. Robilt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Tyke's boardroom beast. Yeah, he is. Yep, he's a beast. You know? Yep. He's been a great uh, client, great affiliate. Yep, great. Yeah, he's got a lot of tax planning. Yeah, it's funny. You know who was after me on Bigger Pockets? Rob Deerdeck. Oh, really? Yeah. He lives out here. He does? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. They said that he was going, like when they spoke to him for like the pre, I mean, you did it, right? Like you've been yeah. on that, what, two or three times. That's so like we met for now. Yeah. So we met like a week before to just kind of talk details. And uh, they said that he's super like spiritual now. And then was like, he's recorded every second of his life for the last three years. And like he, and then he just posted something too. was like, like he's determined he wants to live till 115. Cause it's like an even amount of like minutes. And so it was just crazy. Like to see where his, like, cause I followed him since like the fantasy factory him and like Robin big, you remember? Yeah. Robin big. Yeah. And now to see where he's at and like what he's doing now and his mind, and, right. I found it interesting. I thought on a real somebody, estate podcast. I think somebody told me he's the, I think he's the most filmed reality TV star ever. Like, I think he's had really? the most somebody in the, like something on me. TV. Yeah, I think he's show? he's he's had the most episodes of period in a like Oh, that has to I mean, I could see that for sure. Cuz he's been in so many Fantasy things. Factory, Robin Big, and that's where too. He's a real estate guy. You see, like you see the homes he's buying and yeah. the commercial properties cuz I remember one year I drove to LA and wanted to see the Fantasy Factory. But I'm like, you're owning these huge commercial buildings. He's always talked about it too, and I assume it's why he was on bigger pockets. He definitely has a strong heart in real estate. You'll see all these guys do it. Like once you start to grow uh like some sort of substantial amount of wealth or any amount of wealth. You have to buy real estate. You have to. It's 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 the most tax advantageous. Like I am a real estate over stock market guy any day. Any day. Any day. I don't know anyone in our office that invests in stocks, truthfully. I mean, my all wife we buy, 401k. All we buy is real estate and tykes. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> That's it. There's only two things. That's all you need. That's it. Um, and now businesses. Yeah, that is the next phase. What do you, are you excited for what we're about to do with buying businesses? That is, because that's a whole other, that's kind of back to my audit roots. Because when you go to buy a business, they're you're obviously, gonna, you're going to, you're going to audit it all for Well, us they're always going to sell you on, look at my EBITDA, look at my cash on cash. When you're like, all right, show me the balance sheet. I'll tell you in 30 seconds, whether how healthy you are, you know? So that is back to the, which again, you would never buy a business. You're starting to see this full circle that has bad records. Yeah, <laughs> what you're telling me everything well, you have no money to back. Well, sure, if that's maybe one of their downfalls, but, but yeah, like, that's why you better have bad yeah. records and ten mil in the bank. So it shows <laughs> me that you're doing something really right. You're not like you're not riddled with debt. You're sitting on a lot of cash. Your records are messy, but sure, but you you have overhead. You can back it up. But like if you're running low on cash, you have bad financial records, and your top executive just left. <laughs> Something's weird. <laughs> Something's not adding up. So that's where, or it's be, an opportunity, yeah, as yeah, I would say. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, visionaries <laughs> would always see that side of it. So that's where, I'm like, huh? Yeah. You got a me lot and Noel just can't wait to just mob these things up as these come across our desk. But yeah, yeah. for those of you who don't know, my, you know, so Gary came in, my my business coach. He's been on the podcast, and um, he basically was like Ryan, and and I'll link two episodes that I did talking about what we're about to do. But um, he was like Ryan, you're just gonna own a lot of businesses, like you. My, I see you buying 300. I was going to say the number he said was insane. <laughs> yeah. I, that was not on my radar. He was like five, 300, yeah. five years from now, you're going to have like 300 businesses. I was like 300 businesses. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's a lot of bean counting. <laughs> we need a lot of tax work. <laughs> yeah. And 
So we moved uh, Noelle, my sister, to CFO to handle all of these things. And then, you know, for TrueBooks, that's 300 big clients. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So there's a lot. Yeah. So, right. So shout out to anybody that wants to potentially be acquired. Oh yeah, that too. Have yeah. your records in order. PinedaVentures.com. Yeah. It, the site is not live actually. Yeah. So don't go there. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just D, I don't know. Email me, Ryan at Pineda.co. Yep. That, that, that's the only way right now. We're, we're actually not looking right this very moment because we're building out the C-suite. What and, it takes to really do that. Yeah. Like we want to be ready to turn and burn once we uh, acquire, but that's good though, because that'll be the first thing we ask for is like, hey, not only tell me about it, but show me the financials. Mm-hmm. I need to, and that's where I tell people like, this tax stuff is cool, but like, if you don't have just the core function of your records together, you're so behind. You're gonna feel jumbled, and then you lose out on opportunity. Well, and think about it too, you're trying to be acquired and you don't have it. I'm gonna like definitely give you a lower offer. Exactly. You're exactly just like you should, because there's there's associated risk with it now. You don't know what you're looking at. You're like on a gamble. So I totally would. <laughs> Dude, you know what's so funny? It's it's not funny because everyone got screwed. But like this whole FTX uh, thing. Yeah. Dude, they're like, yeah, no, we didn't have an accountant. I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Did Brady really lose 100 mil, they were saying? They said like 600 mil. Oh. No, well, oh, yeah, maybe it was like it 600 was, billion. But, but I think it was just like on paper. Yeah. You know, I don't think he had 100. Oh, maybe value went up at yeah, that. Okay, like, yeah, Because yeah. he had equity. Yeah, yeah. That right? makes sense. Okay. But yeah, uh, that's crazy. Dude, like the guy saying, yeah, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Like they literally have no account. Yeah, you know who said that too? The was Enron guy. The Enron guy, which is ex- like, I mean, like for those of you, I'm very familiar with that. My wife is literally employed because of what happened to Enron. What is she, how did that happen? So she's a Sox compliance manager. What's so Sox? Sarbanes-Oxley. After Enron, they came in and said, hey, Sarbanes-Oxley are basically rules that these public companies have to follow internally. And then they have, so they have a division that writes the rules. They have a division that comes in and tests the rules. Me and my wife met working in the division that tests them. Now she works on the division that writes them. So that's where you have the guy coming from Enron who saw like the worst of the worst. (laughs) And coming is like, this is worse. (laughs) This is way worse. (laughs) Yeah. So that was so crazy. Banging each other. Yeah. Like not keeping any records of anything. So, but, and that's, what's amazing to me is like, I see it at a small scale. Somebody will come to TrueBooks and they're making millions and they just have nothing together. And I'm like, well, dude, kudos to you because you're doing something right. But then like, shame on you because like you're terrible at record keeping. Like you could have thrown 40 grand to <laughs> no, an assistant to help like, you. but like, look, when I came to- there True, was no you TrueBooks. were, yeah. There was just you. That's mm-hmm. how I was. Yeah, true. So that's where it's like, man, like people can make a lot of money. There's a lot of money moving hands, but like take the time to like hire somebody or delegate to get it in order. Well, that's why I hired you and that's why they hired you. Yeah. <laughs> So, exactly. We all have to so then find somebody like me faster. Just no, I, they're listening. They, yeah, true. They found it. Yeah, it's they, here. They did. Exactly. Um, but no, the, the FTX thing, man, I'm like, just my did, mind is blown because he's like, yeah, like we lost $8 billion. I wasn't sure where it went. Like it could have been either an FTX or Alameda. It, it was weird. We just couldn't figure out. Do they think they're solvent and we'll be able to at least cover client deposits? I can't uh, remember if that was a yes or no. Like, will they cover what people had in cash? No, no. Oh my gosh, yeah. No, like, well, <laughs> what the what Sam said was FTX US, he says a solvent, but you can't believe anything he says, yeah, right? Does, yeah. But uh, the, the international is definitely not. <laughs> what was Alameda? That was like his hedge fund, his own hedge fund. So what they were doing was they were commingling. That was the whole thing. Uh, and so people would wire their their funds to Alameda because uh, FTX didn't have bank account. 
initially. Hmm. But I mean, so um, he would potentially trade it on one hand. I get why, because crypto is like hard to get banking for. Mm -hmm. Like I remember reading the story of Coinbase, like they were having issues, like lots of companies were having issues getting banking for crypto because their crypto is trying to get rid of the banks. Yeah. So like, why are they going to exactly, you know, whatever. So I, I understand that part, even though it's stupid, like they sent the money to Alameda, then Alameda would send it to FTX, but they don't have no balance sheet or, yeah. Or debits or credits. It's just like, oh, there's money. That's so crazy. And like, that's what's crazy too is e- banks now are still having challenges like dealing with certain like, you know, industries. OnlyFans is one of them. Cannabis industry is still having real, like, you know, a ton of trouble with that. Crypto. Yeah. Yeah. All these new emerging side hustle industries. <laughs> Which uh, the other name that I heard of the other day uh, was Carrot again. I feel like they're still staying around. You know, Carrot Financial? Carrot. Yeah. Remember Carrot, the K A R A T. They oh, reached yeah, out to yeah. Yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, my credit card. Yep. Yeah. But right, like when that name came on, I was like, okay, first time of hearing of you, like you're like an influencer style, like, right, like you cater to that industry. I was like, okay, well, I mean, like they're still around, they're doing well. Yeah, he's trying to start a bank. That's what mm. he's trying to do. Interesting. I think that's what Cardone's trying to do too. Start a bank? Yeah. I mean, it's a good business model, but I guess, right, if you can find good use for the money, which we know Cardone can. <laughs> yeah, he'll go throw yeah, it. Yeah. He's got a million things I don't to throw know where that's going, but. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, all these wild financial schemes, which I guess, right, we'll preface with like, don't send your money places that you just don't trust. Well, what's crazy is you would think you could trust FTX because, you know, all these hedge funds threw billions of dollars at them. And you're like, oh, well, surely they did due diligence. Yeah. And to your point, if I go to acquire a company, I'm like, show me the books. Yeah. What were these guys doing with FTX? He was just like, nah. Invest or don't. And they were like, okay. Probably exactly how it went down because of also like the market craze, right? They felt like everybody wanted in and he was like, I ain't showing you anything. They were hopping on something that they felt that was so exclusive. Yeah. And now you're real exclusive. You're part of a group that has nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Somebody was saying they already wrote off the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That just came up in a debate the other day with another CPA was for you to write off an investment like that. Uh, my understanding is you have to at least communicate it to the business that like you're doing it. You couldn't just write because the risk is the potential payback. Yeah. So if you get paid back. Yeah. So if you write off hundred K and then later on you receive funds from it, that could be taxable. So if you're going to take the tax loss, you got to communicate it. Well, I, I guess my, my more fear would be if they're like, Oh, you wrote it off. You don't expect to get it back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That too. Can that like, that would be my fear. I don't, that's all legal if that would entitle you to uh, no payback, but my guess is no. But that's where like, this would all you're be You're still entitled to a payback, yeah. but you can take your loss now. And if, if you get lucky, you're you get happy some money to back, yeah. pay tax on it. I would assume that's in some user agreement that they sign, which who knows what those say now. I'd be surprised if they even had an agreement. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy to see something like that blow up so, so long. And it's just a bad look for everything. Yeah. Speaking of crypto and tax, how, how does that work? Yeah, a lot of people are way confused on how that works. And like, dude, I remember at the beginning, it was the wild, wild west. There were people 1031 in crypto, which <laughs> now we look back and it's like, that was nuts because now, right? So the IRS quickly, look at this. They saw people doing that. They came in and shut that down so fast and said, hey, 1031s are only for real property, which is right, all real estate. So, but crypto is treated like a stock. You buy it for 500 bucks. Yeah. You sell it later. There's gains. You sell it later for 700. 
where it gets really quirky, and this is where I would advise anybody doing crypto to have a good brokerage that'll at least give you good statements or a coin tracker, because what people forget is coin to coin is taxable. So if I go cash to Bitcoin, there's no taxable event. I just purchase something. If I go Bitcoin to Ethereum, taxable event, whether gain or loss, because what I have to treat it as is, as if I sold that Bitcoin for cash and then bought Ethereum with that cash. Mm -hmm. So you have to know exactly what the conversion rates are at the time of you doing coin to coin trades. So you know what your gain and loss is. And as you can see, if you're somebody that's jumping all around coin to coin doing these transactions, that is so much data you have to compile. Well, the other thing is too, like it's got to be so hard to even report it for like some people because like their wallets and they're all anonymous. It's Why do you think like the IRS just had one question? When this came out, it took them a couple of years, but there's one question at the, at the front of the tax return that says, did you buy, sell, or trade any virtual currency? And it's just a checkbox, yes or no. Mm. So that's their catch-all. So whether you're going to report it right later on in the tax return, like it, right on the actual forms, we at least want you to tell us if you did it or not so that if something looks weird, we'll come back and we'll... Yeah, we'll snag it. They're like, yeah, so yeah, I did. And yeah. <laughs> um, I made no money last year. Yeah. But, you know, I've got a couple million in the bank. They're like, huh. Great crypto strategy is tax loss harvesting. So yep. this is where something, so this doesn't apply to stock. So meaning if you have. It's good right now, especially since everything went down. Exactly. So if you're this sitting applies on. To stocks too. Yes, but so the wash sale rule is what doesn't allow you a stock. So right, so let's walk through this. You buy, so you're sitting on 100K of crypto that you bought for 100K. And it's worth 80 now, right now, as of December 6th. Probably worth more like 30. <laughs> Let's say you sell it for 30. You have a paper loss of 70K, yeah. okay? Assuming no coin to coin and all that stuff. You're sitting at a tax loss of 70K. That same day, you could buy that crypto back for 30, basically keep the same position you had. And you've locked in a, a loss of 70,000. You can use it. So now if you sold a home, you're a dentist, but did like a one-off flip and you own crypto and now you made money on this flip, but you have this crypto loss. You can net those because it's again, same bucket, capital, capital. But with stocks, you couldn't do that because yeah. what happens is if you buy back that stock that you sold within 30 days, the wash sale rules trigger and they again, see what you're doing. I didn't know that. Yeah, stocks don't work like that. So that's where crypto is not in that language. So that's another sort of loop. I've always that, heard of like the tax loss harvesting in stock. Loss harvesting, yeah. So that same thing applies where, let's say you're just sitting on some absolute winners and then you liquidate and you're sitting on some losers, they would just say, harvest the loss. So that's where the term sell is Sell the from. losers. If sell you want back in, buy back in 30 days later. Exactly. So just uh, harvest the loss while you can. But, but crypto is like legit. I can buy Same back, day. Same minute. <laughs> same minute. Exactly. You just, you just need to complete the transaction and you've locked in that tax loss. That's where it's huge. So if you are sitting on like sizable crypto losses and you have some, that's where, again, if you have capital gains sitting out there, which even not though, you could just lock in the loss and carry it forward. Right. It'd be a good move. So one thing um, I want to highlight too that um, people may not know is that, you know, bookkeeping is something that's super important especially as we plan for 2023. And that was the reason why, you know, people come to us and their books suck, right? It's because you're not keeping track of it on a yep. weekly, monthly basis. At least monthly. Yeah. And it's like, that That was when I came to you. I originally came to you as a bookkeeper. For bookkeeping. Yeah, I was like, Matt, you know, I need a bookkeeper. We don't know freaking where anything's at. Yep. And so, you know, we really have shied away from that at True Books because there's not a lot of money in bookkeeping. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's a very tedious task. You know, we make our money in consulting, advising, returns, you know, CFO services. But um, recently we've been able to really get the cost down on yep. bookkeeping. And so 
um, we're doing that a lot more now. Mm -hmm. When we started, bookkeeping was basically 1250 bucks a month, which for a small business is a lot of money. Yeah. You know, 13, 14 grand a year. But now we brought that down to about 500 bucks. Yeah. And which again, still may not make sense for most small business owners. But if you're somebody doing at least, let's say 80 to 100K, it could make sense because now you're paying 10 if to 12,000 yeah. for bookkeeping. If you're making, I would say if you're making over a hundred, easily over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. You should have 500. Cause what, let's say even if you're making a hundred K, you're an agent, you do really well. You got one person on your team. You're going to pay 6,000 for accounting. That's not unnormal. And, and here's what you have to look at it as. That is so much time you get back because now on the 10th oh, of the looking month, through my credit cards dude, and on the 10th of the month, you just simply get handed financial statements. And then you can start to what you should be doing, evaluating your own business. Looking at your financials and seeing are the numbers telling me something that like my gut and my day-to-day -day when I wake up and work is not telling me? Mm -hmm. What are the numbers telling me? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the accounting. And that's where I wanted to get the accounting to a reasonable price because again, it's right as first a sticky service, but it allows us to have better tax work because now when the year ends, how many accountants am I going to be waiting on now saying, yo, get us the book so we can do these clients' tax returns yeah. versus if we do the, if we do the accounting, year ends, we do their accounting. We will write into tax work smooth. So the word accounting would just simply refer to like bookkeeping. <laughs> yeah. Bean counting, bookkeeping, accounting. Like That's you're just accounting for money in, money out, debt, all of it. You need clean. Every, every transaction that you do falls somewhere on a financial statement and it needs to be compiled. Right. So random question. Who would, at what point would you hire like a tax attorney versus a CPA? Tax attorney, honestly, is like a case by case. Like you're looking to move to Puerto Rico and do that whole tax strategy. You're looking to maybe do like a conservation easement, which is another big strategy. When you're doing some larger complex things where, again, you don't even need just like a CPA advisor like us. You need somebody that knows the law around it, like legal law, not tax law, uh, or both of those laws, obviously. Uh, that's when you hire. So I think it's like a case by case or obviously- like It's gotta a, be something big. Exactly. It's gotta be something worth their time because you're coming out of the gate paying a tax attorney. You're not gonna work with a tax attorney for less than 5,000. Yeah. So that's where it's like, it's got to be something that's going to take a couple hours of their time and like to really evaluate. So it's mm -hmm. more of just someone you keep on retainer. But I tell people you hire an advisor, like a CPA, the second you're self-employed or have a rental. Mm. That's where we'll, we'll make you your money back at least. If we don't, would, then- Would you go to them too? Like for all these guys that start charities and things like that? I'd have them. Oh yeah, for sure. Yes. For a charity, nonprofit, not only again, would your advisor help you like steer clear of the tax side, but the lot, like the legal side of things too. And having somebody with tax knowledge and legal, because what do you find when you talk to most legal people? They're like, oh, the tax stuff, just talk to your tax guy. And when you talk to us tax guys, we're like, yeah, legal stuff, talk to the legal guy. When you find somebody that's like, Hey, I'm both. <laughs> it's like, all right, okay. This is a one-stop shop now. So you're getting somebody with like knowledge of all areas. Mm. You don't have to have so many hands in the pot. Right. You yeah. think there's anything else people should be aware of as they go into 2023? Accounting. Nope. I always end with this. I always say that I end with it. I'll end with it again. It's like if 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 you right now are listening to this and you're like, hey, I know my numbers. I know what my net is. You're in a really good spot come tax time. You're going to be ready to work with somebody, hit the ground running on some savings. Mm. But if you're not there, I would say get a template, get a P&L template, download QuickBooks, something, but start to look through your bank accounts and get your information organized. That's that's what you could do, honestly, as advice that would be the best help to you. Love it. Well, bro, it's always good seeing you. Sure. 
Appreciate you coming on, sharing all the knowledge. Guys, go give Matt a follow. This guy's the most famous CPA in the world. Everyone knows it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for watching all the way through on this podcast. It means a lot to me. I've also done another interview that I think is going to be super helpful for you. So make sure you watch this one now coming up next.